As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, do we uh do we want Elon Musk to buy Twitter at this point? I can't decide. I like I feel uncomfortable with the idea of him owning Twitter given um, you know, the way he is, I guess. But then secondly, I really like I also want him to feel the full force of contract law and not get away with trashing the US legal system. Okay, my stance on this is I really like the way Twitter is currently run because it doesn't seem like it's a great business, <laughs> but it has these positive externalities. Like I get a lot of value out of it as a journalist and it hasn't changed much and they haven't really ruined the product. So I I like it the way it is and I want it to never evolve or improve <laughs> or anything. And I'm worried that if a it's, viable and business. I'm worried that if it's ever run like a really good business, mm. that it will be worse for me. And so I don't, you know, I don't care if it's Elon or anyone else. I just don't want anyone running it who actually, like, has some good ideas about how to, like, fix it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, on that note, and without further ado, we are going to be talking about all of the thorny questions um, thrown up by the Elon Musk Twitter saga, yeah. which has now devolved into a court battle. You know, it started stupidly with um, the 13D versus 13G stuff. Oh, yeah. And it seems like inevitably it is going to end stupidly and in tears in some sort of drawn out <laughs> legal drama. So who do we call for legal drama? I don't know. Who knows about Twitter and Elon? I don't know. Do we know anyone? It, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> Matt Levine is with us to talk about everything that's going on. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming back on Odd Thoughts. Hey, guys, it's uh, it's terrible to be here. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, OK, let's start with the first question. Elon Musk backing out of the Twitter deal. I think Twitter stock is down something like 30% since the deal was announced. Um, it was a $44 billion offer back then. It is not now. Is this just a tactic by Elon to try to get a lower price? I have no idea, man. I write about this every day and I have no visibility into the way his mind works. I mean, like a first level analysis here is that he's like an extremely whimsical guy. He whimsically wanted to buy Twitter. He got bored with it. And now he wants to walk away. That's my best guess about what's going on. And so he is not really looking to recut a deal at a lower price. He's really looking to get out of it. Um, that said, I mean, it is clear that 
one thing that changed between the time that he enthusiastically wanted to buy Twitter and the time that he wanted to get out of buying Twitter is that the market went down. You know, Twitter is a less valuable company, but also kind of more to the point, Tesla is a much less valuable company. And he was sort of, you know, going to pay for this out of like pocket change from selling a few Tesla shares. And now that is a somewhat more expensive proposition for him. And so it is like clearly the case that like economically this deal is worse for him. And if he recut the deal at a lower price, it would be more acceptable. But I don't know. I mean, like he's just going around trashing Twitter all the time. And it seems like that would not be a great strategy if you then wanted to close the deal even at a lower price. All right. I, we pride ourselves at Odd Lots for asking the stupid questions that everyone else is afraid <laughs> to ask. So I'm going to ask the big question that listeners will really appreciate uh, someone finally saying out loud. What is a chancery? Why do they call it the Delaware Chancery Court? What does that word even mean? Oh, God, I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Um, so, okay. So, like, here's, here's, like, I went to I went to law school a long time ago. I'm going to try to remember. I'm going to do my best to remember. But, no, so, like, in, like, old school, like, English common law in, like, you know, the 1400s, there were two things. There was a court of law and a court of equity. And, like, law was, you know, this is not quite right, but sort of, like, intuitively, law was, like, written sort of like clear law and then equity was like well we do what's fair and the world sort of evolved from then that distinction you know like there are not different courts like that in most of america and the distinction between law and equity as a sort of like legal matter is like a little blurrier than it used to be but people still talk about it in delaware there remains a court of equity which is called the court of chancery and they do they have sort of a narrow set of jobs but the main one is they do corporate law so like all like merger so every not every 90 something percent of like big u.s corporations are incorporated in delaware and are subject to delaware law and most merger agreements are subject to delaware law and so when there's a big dispute about a merger or about corporate governance generally it's usually in delaware court and it's in the delaware court of chancery which has like a handful of judges who are experts in business law. They also do some other stuff. I think they have like the family court or something. They have like some weird sort of set of cases, but like the one that you hear about is they do all the merger cases. Class action lawsuits as and well. And the judges, no, no, class action, well, depends. Uh, not securities class actions. They do like corporate law, like there's a, there's a kind of class action they do, but like not, not securities class actions. But they are, you know, there's like a handful of judges and they're called chancellors. Actually, they're called vice chancellors. One of them is the chancellor. And they sort of develop the doctrine of, of like when mergers have to close and stuff like that. So how hard is it in this court to argue that there has been a material change or misrepresentation that should let you, in theory, get out of a deal? Like, are there any historical examples of that actually succeeding? So, for, so Musk is arguing a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we're talking about this on Wednesday, July 13th. Twitter has just sued Musk to close the deal. Musk has not filed any sort of reply in court. So Musk has not read it. We probably should have mentioned some of this in the intro yeah. that, yes, last night, less than 24 hours ago before we were recording this, uh, Twitter did file this lawsuit against Musk, uh, forcing, attempting to force him to close the deal. Yeah. So we haven't seen anything from 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 Musk in court. So we don't know exactly what his arguments are. But what we do have is his letter to Twitter terminating the deal, or I guess you should say purporting to terminate the deal. And that lists his reasons why he thinks he can get out of the deal. One of them, as you say, is that there might have been or there might be a material adverse effect on Twitter. Famously, there's sort of been one Delaware court decision ever finding a material adverse effect. 
And there's sort of a rule of thumb that the Delaware chancellors use that like a sustained drop in income of like 40 to 50% is a material adverse effect. Basically, the view is that it's a very high standard. And and one, one aspect of it is like when you say material adverse effect, there are a lot of things that don't count. So like the pandemic is carved out from MAEs. The stock market going down is carved out. Things having to do with the deal are carved out. So like the fact that Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter probably drove away some employees and advertisers, but that can't count as an MAE. The only thing that can count is basically like the company itself blows itself up. And that's like an extraordinarily high standard. And there's just there's just like not not a whisper of anything like that here. Now, separately, he's arguing that like they have too many bots and that, you know, if they have too many bots, he can get out of the deal if that would cause an MAE. Now, if you sort of take the maximal reading of Elon Musk's argument and you say, well, you know, Twitter has been lying for years to advertisers and the public. It has been selling stock and selling ads by saying that only 5% of its active users are bots and really it's 50%. And Twitter has known that for years and has been lying about it to perpetrate a massive fraud. I think if like proof of that came out tomorrow, then probably Twitter would lose a lot of business and so it would like lose a lot of income and probably it would get in a lot of trouble, which would also potentially be an MAE. But when I say there's no evidence of that, like it's just, a, it's like no one ever thought it until Elon Musk started pretending to think it, you know, there's not no evidence. Like it's just not in like the realm of possibility. So that's probably not going to work. The other thing that he's doing is he's arguing that Twitter has breached some of its covenants. It is like promised to do things between the signing of the merger and the closing of the merger. And then it hasn't done them. Um, and the main one is that he's arguing that it hasn't given him all the information he wants about the bots, which is a slightly lower standard to get out of the deal for not providing the information, but it is still still feels hard to imagine it all work. The bots thing is funny, and you wrote this in one of your columns. Okay, who knows exactly how many bots there are uh, at Twitter? There's probably a lot, and you know, he Musk himself probably every one of his replies gets a thousand bots, which is why it may be top of mind for him. But it's hard to see it like being material in part because like, okay, advertisers buy ads and then they can see very directly, you'd, I think, how much, you know, for every thousand dollars of ad spend, how much they get in revenue. And so in theory, like it's hard to see how that would be a major, even if by some measure there are way more bots yeah. on Twitter than right. was previously acknowledged, you still, there is that ROI. It's like either you're getting revenue from the ads or you're not. And it's hard to see how like, even if there was a way off on the bots number, how that would like really be changing the business much at this point. Yeah, I basically agree with you. I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think like the, you know, to the extent there's some amount of like brand advertising on Twitter where like you're sort of not getting a direct like click ROI, then, then, but, but no, I agree with you. Like, like the whole thing is absurd. Like, there's no, like, it's just a fantasy that Elon has concocted to try to get out of the deal. Like, there's nothing, there's no real argument there. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com.
Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you talk to us a bit about the Twitter lawsuit? Because, like, A, it's funny and it references a bunch of Musk tweets. But B, like, my understanding is that there's a specific performance clause which gives Twitter the right to sue Musk to complete the deal as long as he has the debt financing. So talk to us about, like, what's possible under that. And could Musk, like, just try to scare away the banks or something at this point? Like, would that be a viable out for him if he said, like, oh, actually, I don't have the debt financing lined up? The agreement says that if Twitter sues Musk for damages for breaching the agreement, they can only get a billion dollars, which is also the breakup fee that he agreed to pay if he walks away. So that's just not very much money, you know, in the context of a billion versus um, 44 billion. Yeah, like it's a 44 billion dollar deal. And like, I think if he walks away, like, you know, no one really knows, but the stock probably, you know, the company probably is worth, you know, 20 billion ish. And so you're talking about like 20 plus billion dollars of damages. So the billion dollars of, of damages is just it's just not really compensation for Twitter. But as you say, the agreement says they can get specific performance. They can force Musk to close the deal. And there is some recent history of Delaware courts saying, okay, you have to close the deal uh, and forcing unwilling buyers to close mergers because they have no excuse for getting out of them. So that's very much a live possibility. Now, as you say, there are some conditions that, you know, one is that like Twitter can't have violated its agreements, right? So maybe Musk can wiggle out of this by saying it like didn't give him enough information about the bots. But the other one is that even if Twitter has done nothing wrong, Musk only has to close the deal if the debt financing is in place. So he has a $13 billion commitment letter from his banks saying that they will fund you know, $13 billion of, of Twitter debt to close the deal. And if the banks disappear, then, then he doesn't have to close. Can he blow that up? I mean, I think that like, it's not, it's committed financing. Like they have contractual obligations to him to fund. They don't have contractual obligations to Twitter, but there is precedent in Delaware for buyers, you know, having the same thought process and saying, I'm going to blow up my debt so I don't have to close the deal and blowing up their debt. And the court say, the court of chancery, which is, you know, a court of equity saying, no, no, no. If you're blowing up your debt on, you know, intentionally, then we're not going to give you credit for that. We're going to make you close, even though your debt financing isn't in place. So deals with like the same language as, as, as what Musk has here. The court says, you know, you blowing up your debt doesn't, doesn't work. Well, the other thing I'd say is like, you know, we're, we're kind of early, honestly, like he has said he's terminating the deal, but like, you know, they haven't even had a shareholder vote. Like there's, there's a lot, like the debt financing was kind of early in, in like getting done. It wasn't like they were like going out to market the debt. So one thing that Twitter is looking for here when they sue is they want a judge to like, they can't have them, they can't order Musk to close the deal because it's just like they haven't had a shareholder vote yet. You know, it's not it's not ready to close yet. But what they can do is order Musk to try to get the debt financing. And if a judge says you have to cooperate with getting the debt financing and if you don't, you'll be in contempt, then 
it's somewhat harder for Elon, for even Elon Musk to blow up the debt financing. But also, it's really hard for the banks to let him. Like if you're Morgan Stanley and who's like Elon's lead bank, and a court says, Elon, you have to cooperate with the financing. You don't want to go to court to be like, oh no, independently, we couldn't get this financing done. Also, I mean, to be clear, like they're financing, it's committed financing. Like this is not, it's not like a letter being like, hey, we'll do our best, right? Like they've, they've committed to fund a $13 billion financing. Like there are conditions to it, but they're fairly minor. And like for the bank to walk away is going to be challenging. So just on this topic of like forcing the deal to go through. So, I mean, part of me thinks, obviously, you shouldn't be able to frivolously say that you are going to buy a company and then just like walk away from it and not go through with it for not exactly great reasons. It's not good for markets and it's not good for society. So there should obviously be some punishment for that. But part of me is also like, is it weird to force people to do deals? Like, what is the benefit of that forcing a company into the hands of un- an unwilling buyer? Like, that also seems questionable, it, it, certainly when it comes to Twitter, which a lot of people would mm-hmm. argue is like a platform for societal discourse is a nice way of putting it. Like, how should we think about those two things? Yeah, it's really weird. So, so look, so like, if you look back at like the cases where this has happened, Occasionally, like there's a public company trying to buy another public company and there'll be an argument about specific performance and the court will say, we'll sort of think about questions like how hard will it be to integrate these companies, which is like a weird thing for the court to think about, right? But if you're an unwilling public company buyer, you know, being forced to buy another company, you might care, like, will that be a disaster for the business, right? But most of these cases are private equity firms and there, there's kind of like, there's no integration. You know, there was a shareholder of a company and now there's going to be another shareholder of the company and the shareholder will get the money from the company, but like nothing else needs to change. And so in some ways, it's actually like fairly easy to order a private equity firm to buy a company that it doesn't want because it's just like an economic transaction, right? The, the private equity firm is going to try to maximize value, but it, you know, wished it would have paid a lower price. It's like still weird. It's weird to make someone buy a company they don't want, but like you're only making them buy it. You're only making them put up the money and then be like the, you know, economic owner. You're not making them run it day to day. Here it's different, right? I mean, like he said that he was going to be the interim CEO of Twitter when he bought Twitter, right? And he's clearly like emotionally invested in Twitter in some weird way. And now he's clearly emotionally invested in trashing Twitter. And so, yeah, making him run Twitter would be really bad. I mean, I don't know, maybe it'd be great, but it seems like it'd be really bad for like Twitter, right? For Twitter as a platform and as a public utility and certainly for the employees. And it seems like it would probably be bad for him, like personally, right? Like he's a human being who would now be in charge of like running this company that he claims to not want to run it. Right. Your punishment for backing out of the deal is that now you have to run Twitter. Yeah, right. Which like is a terrible punishment. But um, so yes, I agree with you. It's it's weird and it's in some way unprecedented because like the precedents are about like sort of more like rational economic actors, and this is like a deal about like you know an angry man buying a social media company. If I were in charge, like let's say if I were the Delaware judge, and I said he has no excuse for getting out of the deal, which is what I think now. Like we'll see what his filings say, but like as of right now, it looks like looks to me like he has no excuse for getting out of the deal. If I were the Delaware Chancellor, I would say, look, I would like call a conference and I'd say, look, I'm going to order a specific performance. Musk has no excuse for getting out of the deal and I'm going to order him to close the deal. 
and he doesn't want that and Twitter doesn't want that. And frankly, I don't want that because I'm a Twitter user. So work something out, man. <laughs> like the only good outcome here is a settlement where Musk gives Twitter enough money that they don't feel so bad about letting the deal go away and where he doesn't have to pay the $44 billion and run Twitter all day, right? So if he pays them, you know, if he writes them a big check and they all agree to forget about it, then that seems like the best of the bad outcomes here. And the only way he does that is if he knows that the alternative is like a certainty of him being forced to pay $44 billion and buy Twitter. Let me ask you a question, not about the text of the law, but the practice of the law. Okay, so I've read a lot of Matt Levine columns. It looks like Musk's arguments are very bad. Twitter filed this lawsuit yesterday uh, um, and everyone basically said, wow, this is uh, they have uh, dead to sites with this. Do Musk's lawyers enjoy this? Do they live for this? Is this fun for them that they're now tasked with like, well, how do we find an argument that'll like maybe hold up and find some precedent that everyone had forgotten about that's in like some dusty old book or something? Like, is this energizing for them? Would you would you find it enjoyable? Having been a lawyer yourself, would you enjoy being on Musk's See, legal team right now? Now, I thought you were gonna ask Matt like, what would be his strategy if he rejoined well, Wachtell Lipton to like defend Twitter? But you've gone no, the other way and you've yeah. asked him, like, well, like how obvious. would you defend it like, Musk? It seems like defending Twitter is easy. Like everyone agrees the law is full <laughs> on their side. Like it doesn't actually seem that like the Twitter lawyers have a tough case to make. We'll see what happens. But it doesn't seem like this is a particularly it's everyone's saying it's like this is kind of a kind of a, a, a tap in for a putt. So like, would it be fun to be on the Musk defense team in this situation? So their best argument is that he has not given them, or sorry, that Twitter has not given him the information he's requested about bots. Now, I think we all agree that the idea that there are so many bots that the Twitter that like Twitter is not a functioning business is like insane, and so like, that's not going to work. But he's been asking for information about bots, and he says they haven't given him all that he wants. Now, there's some debate about like like they've given him a lot, and like he's been asking for unreasonable things. But like you know, that's that's all subjective, and you can sort of make noises about how he's actually been asking for reasonable things. And the nice thing is that you know, the thing about the bots that is crazy that is like crazy making and hypocritical is that when Musk signed the deal, he was like, "I'm going to defeat the bots," right? Like he's made it clear from day one that he's aware that Twitter has bots, and he's really mad about them, and so. That undermines his case that like, oh, I've discovered there are too many bots. I have to walk away from the deal. But it actually helps his case that he wants information about the bots because he's like, look, I'm going to be running Twitter. I need to know about how to fight the spam bots. And Twitter is not giving me any of that information, which makes me think that they're hiding something from me. And that makes me want to walk away from the deal. I, I don't think that's a good argument, but I think it's like a, an argument that you could sort of, you know gulp and make as a, as a lawyer. So I don't know, do your question, like, I don't know. I've never been a litigator. I think it is hard to, I think like this feels like a, like a case where you're like, eh, this is really, I have to say this, but, but um, you know, like, is like the richest guy in the world, literally. Yeah. And like, you know, they are in the it's business. Like poor associates who are going to get waken up, woken up at like 2 a.m. in the morning because Musk tweeted something that like might be relevant. But that, that would case. be true if they had a good case too, right? I mean, like they have a tough case, but like, yeah, they're, they're, they have professional pride in crafting arguments that are, you know, colorable and not like openly dishonest. <laughs> like, you know, like they can't say things that are false. They have to be honest. But I think that like, is there, is there something you can argue here? Yeah. I think like you can argue that 
they have asked for information and they haven't gotten it and they deserve to have that information. I don't think that's a crazy argument to make. And I think, you know, we'll see what happens with the debt financing. <laughs> that, that's like, that's like a possible avenue for getting out of specific performance. I also think that like, you know, like the other thing that the other argument I would make probably if I were muscle lawyers is like, look, specific performance is, as they say, an equitable remedy, right? Like you can't just automatically get specific performance. Even if you think Musk is like in the wrong here and Twitter is in the right about everything, you still shouldn't order specific performance because just like Tracy said, like, like no one wants him to own Twitter, right? Like, like that's a, that's the sort of like weird fact here that is novel, which is that it would be really mean to Musk, to Twitter's users, to Twitter's employees to make him actually own the company. And so like that could be an argument you could make to try to get out of that consequence. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, just on the topic of Musk and his tweets, like this is one of the things that made the Twitter lawsuit quite entertaining. They embedded a bunch of Musk's own tweets, including like ones with a poop emoji in them and things like that. How much does what Musk himself has said about the deal and his motivations. And, you know, he he had like one meme where he sort of seemed to imply that this whole thing was just a way to get Twitter to have to dis- disclose more information yes, about sure the did, bots <laughs> in court. Like, how much does that play into this? I think the main way, it, like a judge is ultimately going to have to sit down and say, is it fair to order a specific performance? Like, What's like the the legal, the, the lawyers would say the balance of the equities. Like, even if Musk is breaching the agreement, is it really a good idea to force him to close? And I think that Twitter's strategy here is to say, look, the angrier the judges at Elon Musk, the more likely the judges to order him to close the deal. And his really just like public thumbing his nose at the sanctity of merger agreements is going to annoy a Delaware judge, right? Because like the Delaware judge is in the business of making Delaware a predictable place to do business and a place where merger agreements are predictably enforced. And when a guy is like, ah, I don't care about merger agreements, like that's going to annoy a Delaware judge. And like showing the tweets is 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 gonna gonna drive that home. I hadn't thought about that angle, which is that if the you know if by se- if that there is a sort of Delaware consequence if they go too far outside of norms, which sort of undermines the entire point of having 
all this like corporate law done in their courts. But I just have like, uh, actually I have two very short questions related to the Delaware courts. I think I saw, maybe it said it was in the Twitter lawsuit that they think it can be a four day trial. Like can do Delaware courts, can they really move that fast? Yeah, in general, Delaware courts are in the business of doing trials on merger cases like in order to close mergers quickly. Like this isn't probably a case for damages, right? This isn't like, you know, we drag this out for five years and do a lot of discovery, right? Everyone knows all the facts, first of all, right? Like the facts are fairly straightforward. And secondly, like, you know, the the thing they're looking for is like, you got to close the deal, right? So like, they're not going to wait five years to close the deal, right? Like, the, like Delaware courts move fast in like merger disputes. And, then, and like, and again, like, you know, Delaware is in the business of doing this, right? Like, it's very important to Delaware that mergers be predictable and they close on time. And so when someone's trying not to close a merger and someone else is trying to get it closed, they're like, okay, we'll do a quick trial and we'll, and we'll, we'll give you an answer. You know, it's, it's, it's like, th that's the business. There, like that's the, that's the sit, that's the whole point of Delaware. So last question is, uh, and I think you wrote about this, like, is there a world in which there could be criminal, like, let's say it's like, yeah, you got to close this deal. There's no, you know, no question. And Musk like still doesn't want to. In the world of like infinite possibilities, is there a world in which that could lead to his arrest and imprisonment? I mean, I've joked about chancery jail. I, like, there's, there's, there's one time ever when a Delaware chancellor like ordered someone arrested, but it was not over a merger. I mean, we're talking fan. I don't know. Fanciful, like this weird. You know, the world is weird. Because it's Elon Musk, because he like so blatantly thumbs his nose at authority, people did sort of immediately jump to the question of like, what happens if a judge says, okay, you have to close this deal, and Musk says no, what does the court do? Do they order him arrested? You know, I don't know the answer. I mean, I think like, I think the court holds him in contempt. I think if he stays in Texas, I, I, I don't, I'm here, I'm speculating. I don't think that like the first order of business is for like a Delaware chancellor to try to get him extradited to Delaware to go to a Delaware jail. I think there are other things you can do. 2022, weird things happen. I think there are other things you could do as a Delaware chancellor. Like for instance, can you try to seize some assets? Well, I don't know. But like, you know, one question is like, does he have any assets in Delaware? I doubt he has like a big mansion in Delaware, but you know what he has in Delaware? Maybe hundreds of billions of dollars of Tesla stock, which is a Delaware corporation. So can they seize that? I don't know, man. But like, I think that if they order him to close and he just ignores the court, I don't really know what levers they have to make him do it, but I think they probably have some. I think that putting him in a jail in Delaware is probably pretty low down on the list, but I don't know. All right, Matt. Well, we could go on about this for hours, obviously, and we probably will, unfortunately, have a chance to talk about it again at a later date. But thank you so much for coming on Odd Lots and explaining just how surreal everything is at the moment. It's pretty weird, man. And uh, looking forward to reading all of your many... Do you, do you dream about it? Has he been in your dreams yet? Because like um, you're like the third character of the story. It's like Elon. Has he been in my Matt dreams? Like, it's more that like I I am like missing sleep to, yeah. to like okay. sit at my computer and type. I don't think I've actually dreamed about well, Elon. The world before. the world appreciates your uh, your service, man, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. a lot of weirdness there and a lot of open-ended questions about what might happen but I feel like I don't know like a I just feel like there's a lot of stupidity but b like <laughs> I 
part of me part of me really likes musk making the point about twitter bots but the other part of me thinks maybe he shouldn't make that point by completely trashing the u.s legal system you know i hadn't thought about that point but i do think that was really a good point that matt made which is that like the whole reason so much corporate law is done in delaware is like it's quick it's predictable. The rules are like fairly unambiguous and, you know, everyone sort of likes that, which does make it seem like it even raises the bar further. The fact that like Musk seems to be thumbing his nose so much at the contract law, like if that's allowed and endorsed by a Delaware court, then what is the point of a Delaware court? Again, I don't know, like maybe his lawyers are going to like pull something that really is like oh, it changes our story and lawyers are really good at doing that. But uh, yeah, like this sort of the whole system is implicitly on trial almost. Yeah. And also, like, I just the idea that the ultimate punishment for Elon Musk might be having to become CEO of Twitter. And like, I just have this image of like a judge somewhere like standing behind Elon Musk while he sits at a desk doing like Twitter things and finding the bots and just forcing him to do it. I, there's this whole thing is very strange. Uh, lots of future Matt Levine columns to read <laughs> at a very minimum. Uh, shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our guest, Matt Levine, on Twitter. He's Matt underscore Levine. And of course, subscribe to his newsletter, Money Stuff, which you can, uh, he's a link to it at his handle. Follow our producer, Carmen Rodriguez, at Carmen Armin. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.